Welcome to Premier Health Now on Air. Each episode, we talk with local healthcare professionals to bring you timely, helpful tips for taking good care of yourself and the people you care about. I'm your moderator, Leslie Lane. And with me today is Dr. Marcus Washington, a primary care physician with Premier Health Family Medicine in Mason. Welcome. Thank you. And Amanda Fox, a certified nurse practitioner with Doolin and More Doolin Family Wellness Center in Lebanon. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. This has already been a rough winter for diseases like flu that we expect this time of year. They spread easily, especially where people spend a lot of time together indoors. So that's our topic today. I'm thinking daycare, schools, college, and retirement communities where residents' health may make them even more vulnerable. So can we talk about what are the most common winter illnesses you see in these groups, and and are they different for different ages or settings? Maybe start with the little ones. So in the pediatric, the kid population, we do see a lot of different viruses creep up, especially in the wintertime. A lot of upper respiratory viruses, flu, croup is another one that can be contagious, as well as the GI bug, which that includes like the vomiting and diarrhea. Kids in the daycare settings, uh, they seem to be, you know, they're touching everything and then everything goes to their mouth. And then again, school age kids too, they're, you know, they're just touching everything, sharing a lot of germs. Yeah, I would have to agree with Amanda. When you look at my family, for example, my wife and I have six children and four that are home, all four of them have been sick in the last four days uh, with something, one respiratory, three of them with uh, something that's affecting their, we're seeing the poops and the and the pukes, and um, and it's very common. It runs through a household. They came home, got ill, life went on. But it also affects the older children as well. As you get into the teenagers, um, there is a tendency for kids to be sick less often as they get older, but that doesn't mean that they don't get sick anymore either. And particularly when uh, you when you deal with high schoolers and college age kids, there is a tendency to want to do things my way and not the smart way. So hand washing can sometimes be a little sketchy. I find that my best folks who protect against coughing are, are the littlest ones in my practice. As they get older, it seems like covering your mouth when you cough becomes more and more difficult. But also just dressing appropriately for the weather, you know, making sure that you're not allowing yourself to be chilled unnecessarily. Eating right, even in the wintertime, matters. Drinking plenty of fluids and these things that can help actually protect us in some ways against getting sick. Are these conditions equally dangerous? Because you said, well, they got sick, they get over it, and and off they go. So are they equally dangerous? Depends on perspective. Now, statistics will show that you can see millions of people get GI bugs in the country over the course of the year. Very seldom do they actually end up with serious things, people needing to be hospitalized. Once in a while, someone needs to be seen and get some IV fluids, for example, if they get really, really sick. But where we get real concerned is particularly with influenza. And influenza and the common cold are two very different things, and the outcomes can be very different. You feel sick with a cold. You are sick with the flu. And folks who, particularly the very young, 
our elderly population, people with chronic health problems uh, like asthma, kidney disease, diabetes, those folks have a tendency to not only get influenza, but what really happens is they get complications as a result of it that lands them potentially in the hospital and an intensive care unit, and unfortunately, sometimes people will even die. So as of today, the Centers for Disease Control has an estimated report of 37 children dying from flu. How can that even happen? There's a couple of things that factor into that. One, we track numbers now in a way that we had not in in years prior. So it's not, unfortunately, unusual to actually see pediatric deaths from influenza. It does happen. Now, flu vaccine helps prevent this. The overall health of the child makes a difference. But one of the things is I recall when I first started into practice, the single worst day I ever had in medicine was a day I saw over 60 patients, and it was during a full-blown flu season. And one of the reasons was that influenza viruses like a lot of different things. There's, There's bananas, there's apples, there's peaches, but they're all fruit. There's multiple types of influenza, and one of the ones that currently is circulating, history shows us when that is the dominant strain, when that's the type of fruit that's out there more than any other fruit, we tend to have worse seasons. The particular day that was my worst day, this was the strain that was circulating. And so we saw a lot of flu. Unfortunately, because we have a 24-hour news cycle, we do tend to hear a little more about this than perhaps we would have in, in past years. Amanda, if I have a parent in a retirement community, and I know you do spend some time with older folks, should I be particularly worried this year? You should this year. With all the visitors coming in and out, uh, a lot of people don't take into consideration that they are infecting other ones' loved ones as well. So they'll come into the buildings and just, you know, you want to see your mother or father or grandparent, whoever, and not realizing that you don't feel well and you should really stay away for the benefit of your own loved one as well as many others. Because They are in very tight corridors. They're not getting in and out anywhere. So it's whatever is brought to them is, you know, brought to them from a visitor or an employee at one of the buildings. And it does spread and travel. Their immune systems are already not the greatest. They have a lot of comorbidities, um, COPD, congestive heart failure, a lot of breathing difficulties. They're not moving around. So pneumonia becomes the big concern after the flu. Pneumonia can present itself very easily after your rundown with the flu, especially in the elderly population. So I'm a healthy visitor. I go to see mom. What am I watching for? When you're a healthy visitor and you go to see your mom or dad, any loved one, the biggest signs is just, you know, increased weakness, They're just not acting themselves. A lot of times um, elderly can get more confused, can be the first sign of just not feeling well. So you just need to continue to report all that and watch their symptoms. Well, can we get very practical here about what can and can't we control about the spread of these diseases? I believe I read that mono, for example, can be contagious for a really long time, like over a year. So how do you even begin to control the spread of these things? We've talked a little bit about 
coughing. And although I've seen little kids cover their mouths when they cough and then they go touch somebody else, so I, I don't know how much that helps. What can we practically do to control the spread? Number one is to keep your own self healthy by eating right, getting enough rest, reducing stress, avoiding close quarters with other people that you see aren't well. It does get difficult in our busy worlds to do that, however. Other things that, that, that I, would, I would think of is, first and foremost, disease is it's out there. Humans have in, endured them for as long as we have been on the planet. So when you look to make a difference, and, and one of the things that I often say to my patients is that we love technology, MRIs and CTs, and all these things are just really cool. And, and look, I'm a techie. I love cool stuff. Okay, but the reality is this. Two things have changed in medicine in the last hundred or so years that actually make a difference. Antibiotics and the ability to vaccinate against viral illnesses. So when we can, vaccines being vaccinated against certain illnesses make a difference. They are not totally preventative. In fact, in many ways, getting vaccinated against the flu doesn't actually prevent you from getting the flu necessarily. But what you're really trying to do is make sure that if exposed, your body can mount a response and fight back faster so you don't get as sick nor stay sick as long. And say if you have diabetes, go into a condition called diabetic ketoacidosis. Nice big long word, but what it all means is your blood sugar is really high and you're really sick and we're going to put you in a real ICU Nobody really wants that. So that's one of the things. Washing your hands is probably one of the most important things that we can do, whether you use hand sanitizer or plain old soap. Soap is an amazing antimicrobial, and there have been some things to suggest that actual antimicrobial soap is not good, but just plain ordinary soap, regular hand washing. And then just like Amanda said, and I totally agree, you got to take care of you. And also just be smart. Don't be where sickness is. You, you want to think about and judiciously use where you go to receive health care if you're not feeling well. Sick people are in your emergency room. And when you have lots of exposures like that, you run the risk. The other thing that happens is, you know, if your child, for example, and this is kind of one of my parenting slash doctor pet peeves, if your child is sick, I understand that the neighbor may be having the party of the year. I get it. They're going to have a pirate ship and, and all kinds of bells and whistles and fireworks. And I would love for my kids to be there, too. But if your child is sick, keep your child home and don't expose other people to that. And so if we all kind of work together and then do things for ourselves and then for others, we can hopefully reduce the impact of, of many of these infectious diseases. Well, what are the must-have vaccines for? And I know we're in midwinter now, and I don't know if it's too late, but what are the must-have vaccines for winter? The flu is number one, and it's not too late at all to go get your flu vaccine. You can still definitely get the flu if you have the vaccine, but it should minimize the effects of how bad you end up sick. Also, I mean, pneumonia, once you hit the appropriate age, you need to... Make sure you're getting your pneumonia vaccine as well. Isn't it true that there is a different kind of flu vaccine for people over 60 or 65? I'm not sure. you. There's a high-dose strand, and the people 
that are over age 65, they do automatically qualify for that. So that would be something that when you do go get your flu vaccine that you would ask for because not everywhere carries that same strain. Where do you stand on supplements to boost immunity? Does that make any kind of difference? As long as your dietary intake is appropriate, then there's really not a a big deal that you need to do supplementation with any vitamins, herbs, anything like that. But if you do have not the best diet and not the best sleep habits, keeping yourself healthy, then, I mean, a multivitamin is never a bad thing to do. But you should just probably question with your healthcare provider of what you're deficient in. I also wanted to add um, an important thing about pneumonia vaccine is that there are some groups of folks who even should be vaccinated before they turn 65. So you definitely want to talk to your doctor and find out, are you one of those people? For example, if you have diabetes. And the other important piece of that is there are now two pneumonia vaccines. So there are several people out who may believe they've been vaccinated against pneumonia. But in fact, they have only been given one of the strains. And so, you know, it would be great if they would just take there's a 23 and a 13 and why we can't just give you a 36 and call it a day. I don't know. But many folks have have received the 23 because it's been around for a while. But the 13 needs to be given as um, sort of a boost, so to speak. And so it's important to make sure that you that you see your doctor. And the other thing when it look at, at flu vaccines, something I think is always important to understand is that you cannot get influenza from the vaccine. It is not a live vaccine. And what I mean by that is there are some vaccines, for example, the uh, chickenpox vaccine is live. And so there you take it, you weaken it, you take some pieces away so that it doesn't give you the disease, but it can help you to build the immunity against it. And so you have to be careful with live vaccines. There are some people, someone who has HIV, for example, might not be the best person to receive a live vaccine. But when you have influenza, there's nothing there. There's pieces and bits and there's like a brick and, and, a, and a little bit of, um, of mud and, and a single shingle. Well, you can't build a house with that, nor could you, in giving those pieces, actually confer disease. But it's important because a lot of people believe that they can get the flu from the vaccine. The reality is, is that it is never too late to get it. We still have some in our office. We're happy to give. But what is important to recognize is it takes about two weeks for your body to build immunity. So you are vulnerable. So now there's influenza circulating rampantly through our population right now. If you look at the map that comes from the Center for Disease Control, you will notice Puerto Rico, Guam, and Hawaii are the only states that do not have widespread flu right now. That means we are in flu epidemic, and you can't escape it if you're inside the Great 48. So it's out there right now. Getting vaccinated still, though, it may take a couple of weeks. So you could potentially get flu even in that time while you're ramping up, but it is still worth doing. And also, sometimes you will hear folks say, I got the vaccine, I got the flu. I always ask them, were you tested to know it was actually influenza? There was an interesting article I just saw yesterday talking about adenovirus. What's adenovirus? or coronavirus, or parainfluenza virus. These are just other viruses that they stuff in our heads when we're in medical school. But the reality is we know them as common colds and other respiratory illnesses. And this adenovirus can mimic it. It can actually look like the flu. But the flu is a little more like you jumped out of a plane without a parachute. 
whereas the other one is just more like, I'm just not feeling great today. And so there is a difference. Yeah, I was going to ask how I can tell the difference between when I should just, you know, lay low with ginger ale, which was mom's go-to remedy when I was growing up, or get myself to a doctor. So it's the jump out of the plane feeling? (laughs) Yeah, the flu tends to hit you full force with a ton of bricks out of nowhere. You might be fine at lunchtime and then dinner time. you feel like you've jumped out of a plane. Major body aches is the number one. A lot of people will complain of a headache. They'll get a sore throat and dry cough on top of that. And typically, most people are going to run a fever greater than 100.5 and higher. So that makes me wonder whether we can get kind of fanatical about trying to prevent that kind of experience. Is it possible to overdo prevention? Can we be too enthusiastic? Yes, you definitely want to always remember to isolate yourself if you are feeling bad, but never isolate yourself too much that you are in fear of getting sick when you are well and your family's well. Get out and live life a little bit. And I've seen personal cases, too, where people do go above and beyond trying to make everything sanitized to where their family is always, always ill. Their kids are always sick, but yet they've been completely isolated. They haven't been really in many public places, but it's when you're every week or every couple days, Cloroxing every single thing that you touch in the house, everything in your car that way. That's a little over the top. You don't want to live in a sanitary bubble. Uh, It's important to be exposed to your body, just like the actual vaccine, that you can build up immune system to fight off other things that come about. And Dr. Washington is making a kind of cringing face, and he really wants to add to this. Just that one of the things to remember is that the average child under the age of five averages six to 12 colds a year. That's important to understand because if you do the math on that, yep, once a month your child might be sick. And part of that just has to do with the development of their immune system. And as they get older, they get stronger and they start to enter school. They get a big uptick when they're exposed to that. And then it starts to go down. And that 12 times becomes 10, 8, 7. A major part of that is just the maturity of the immune system. We sometimes forget, and when you think about overdoing it, the reality is is that the human body was made to fix itself. And that includes to heal itself from disease. We don't often think of it this way, but we are exposed to all kinds of crap and crud every day. You touch the table in front of you. I'm not putting my mouth on this microphone. I'm getting close, but I'm not making contact because there's a lot of gunk on there. And that's just a part of life. But amazingly, your body fixes this stuff. That's what it's designed to do. So I agree with Amanda. For example, you cannot wash your hands enough to actually sterilize your skin. If I walked by the most ardent hand washer, took a swab, swiped them, and went and saw what I could grow, we're going to grow some gunk off of your skin. But your skin's the largest and most important organ in your body for the protection of against disease. That's what it's there for. It's a barrier. It protects us. So it's just important to recognize it's not uncommon for especially small kids to get ill. 
They'll get better as they get stronger and older and their immune systems get stronger. But then when we get on the other end of life, our immune systems start to weaken again. So preventative measures really make a big difference on that end of life. So you see a lot of sick people, both of you, and I presume you must every once in a while get sick. What's your go-to remedy when you just feel ugh? Sleep and hydration. In a particular hydration? Water. Water is what our body needs to fuel itself. There's a couple over-the-counter things that are appropriate, but make sure, again, you discuss with your health care provider on what is okay for you. How about you, Dr. Washington? I would agree. I love hot tea and lemon, you know, hot teas and, and hot liquids and just water in general. It's been shown it washes away things. But a lot of your body's processes in terms of how it fixes itself need water to even begin to work. So it's important hydration, staying hydrated. And the other thing I find is regular exercise, except when you're sick, because you can actually make yourself more ill by exercising when you're sick. Well, there is a lot of winter left. We hope you heard or were reminded of preventive practices that you can start or step up to keep yourself and your family healthy. We thank our guests today for such helpful insights. Thank you, Dr. Marcus Washington, primary care physician with Premier Health Family Medicine in Mason, and Amanda Fox, a certified nurse practitioner with Doolin and Moore Doolin Family Wellness Center in Lebanon. If you want to know more, visit premierhealth.com slash healthnow. We'll be back. We hope you will. I'm Leslie Lane. Thanks for joining us, and watch for our next edition of Premier Health Now on air. <laughs>